Welcome to episode 131 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. My wife came home from a conference tonight and she was glowing. You should know that my wife is a shy extrovert, so although she likes being around people, networking isn't easy for her. Yet, here she was, all bubbly and excited. She said, I did a Robbie Samuels. I asked her what she meant and she shared a few of the things she did that led to her feeling this was a really successful event for building connections. With some prompting for me, she had reached out the night before to a speaker she was looking forward to meeting. She had felt self-conscious doing this, but it did make it much easier for her to make an impression when she went into the session early to say hello before the panel began. While waiting for the session to start, she chatted with someone in the front of the room who turned out to be one of the other panelists. When that speaker excused herself to head on stage, my wife connected with a participant sitting near her by joking about how far apart everyone was sitting and how they were all on their phones while waiting for the breakout session to get underway. At the end of a different session, while in a conversation with a speaker after their presentation, she opened up her body language, a la croissant, to let in someone else who was waiting. She felt less rushed then, and they were able to all speak together. She also volunteered for the event, which gave her a reason to speak to the moderator and panelists during the session she was assigned as a room monitor. Volunteering led to some great connections with fellow volunteers, and she was able to meet the conference organizers. She cinched up her name badge to prevent navel-gazing and taught that trick to a few other participants. She tweeted at several of the speakers, and they either liked and or retweeted her. She also tweeted out a few of my networking tips using the event hashtag. She sent LinkedIn requests to people she met while sitting with them so she could follow up with them later in the day. Actually, she connected with these folks on LinkedIn using the scanning option, which led her to teaching others how to use it. I have to say, it was awesome to see my wife put into action the strategies that I've been teaching my clients for the last decade. She's definitely been paying attention. Your challenge this week, be like my wife. Attend an event this week and try out at least three of these tips. And then let me know how it goes by sending an I did a Robbie Samuels tweet. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest breaks silos, works smarter, and gets things done. She is the founder and CEO of Potential, a global consultancy that helps organizations transform by delivering collaboration across teams, business units, customers, and other stakeholders. She is one of today's most provocative business thinkers on the future of work. She advises business leaders and companies to lead markets through innovations that matter, create increasing value for customers and clients, deliver sustainable results, and ensuring future global competitiveness. She is the co-author of the best-selling book, Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence, ranked number one on what corporate America is reading. An in-demand speaker, she has spoken worldwide to organizations and enterprises that range from the World Economic Forum at Davos to U.S. and global Fortune 500 companies. She's been listed on the Thinkers 50 radar list for the emerging management thinkers around the world 
most likely to shape the future of business, management, and strategy. Please join me in welcoming Erica Dewan. Well, thank you, Robbie. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Erica, for joining me from your office in New York. I just want to jump right in. As you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I define leadership as the ability to enable others to achieve a shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. Ooh, I love that. That's like, that's tweetable. That's awesome. All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and I, I give credit to um, a professor at Harvard named Marshall Gans, who taught me that that's really the definition of leadership. It's not about authority, role, or, um, or you know, driving a direction. It's about enabling a group of people to achieve that shared purpose. And leadership is really about cultivating, at the end of the day, a community that can drive results together. I, as I think about when I first realized I had the skills to lead, um, it was actually when I was 17 years old. Um, I grew up in a South Asian immigrant family um, where, you know, listening was a price trade and speaking up wasn't really part of our culture. Um, I was, you know, a bookish teenager and, you know, and very much had trouble, um, speaking up or, you know, feeling willing to drive something new on my own. I was shy. I was, you know, I, I was a quiet person. And um, I'll never forget when I was 17, I went to a leadership program. It was called Global Entrepreneurship. And for the first time ever, I was introduced to all of these people that had started businesses. It was really helping young people learn about the world of entrepreneurship. And it was six weeks long. And um, you know, most of my life I'd been surrounded by the path of being a doctor or an engineer or a housewife. Those mm. are the three paths. And, um, and, you know, it opened up my eyes and I was so inspired. I came back for my final year of se- my senior year of high school and I decided to launch a women's leadership conference. Um, wow. at my school. And it became something that was citywide. Um, and I had just so much inspiration and excitement to enable others and um, to talk about the way we can all lead that I created my first leadership conference at the age of 17. Um, and it was through that that I realized that I had the skills to lead. So uh, there's so much here that I want to unpack. Like, that's so and not everyone, A, would have sought an opportunity to go away for six weeks, particularly if you had always been sort of more quiet and didn't think of yourself as someone who sort of was outspoken and jumped into things. But not everyone would go to that and then come back with those lessons and want to implement them right away. So there must be something even before going away that instilled in you the idea that you could do that, that, that you had that within you, that others would listen to you. Yeah. You know, I think in many ways um, it came the, the desire to um, self-reflect and continuously improve came more from having failed than having succeeded. And, uh, you know, if I think back, um, I really remember my first big leadership challenge um, that I think of in my life was when I was in ninth grade. So you go into high school and you want to, you know, try new things and be a new person. And I decided I would run for class president of my private high school, which was only about 70 people. 
and you know, I wasn't a popular person. I was, you know, a nerdy, bookish, you know, shy teenager. But you know, it was my first big leadership challenge, and I, I was really excited to try. And um, I remember that year. I still remember giving my speech, you know, for class president, and how excited I was. And um, and then I lost the. I lost it, and someone else won. And then I tried to run for a class rep. And I lost that as well. And I remember feeling so disheartened uh, that I lost when really in those days, we all know that those elections were a lot about popularity. Um, And, you know, I I think having gone through that type of failure in trying or wanting to lead helped me realize that leadership is not about title. Like it didn't matter if I was a class president or, or a representative, I could lead in my own way. And I think, again, having gone through um, trying something and failing, I think made me more resilient in being willing to try different things over my life. I too ran for office in high school and didn't win. And um, what I remember about that moment is that I then became friends with the person who oversaw student government, the teacher. And um, next thing you know, I had all the members of our council actually making signs for some event or project that I was running. (laughs) I was, I think I was working on like a recycling project and I had all the people in student government working to make my event a success. And you realize that yes, title is not needed, right? It's, um, it's about those who take action and whether people follow them. And yeah, so but you had so many opportunities from 17 to now to really sort of hone in on what that was. And you came here to Boston where I live and you got to spend some time in, in Cambridge, in Harvard with Marshall Gans and, um, and, and just, that's an incredible opportunity. Did you, um, at what point did you realize you wanted to really dig in to learn more about leadership? Was it because you were giving more opportunities to lead or you wanted more opportunities to lead? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, after I was super excited about the power of business and entrepreneurship, I actually went, um, to Wharton for my undergraduate degree and Wharton trained you that, you know, the best place to go now, this was over a decade ago, um, was wall street afterwards. So my first job out of college was at Lehman brothers of all places Uh height of the boom. And I was there, um, as Lehman went bankrupt and I watched us, you know, um, I, I watched what happened not only to the firm and to people's lives at that company, but the ripple effect around the world. And I think having worked at Lehman through the world's largest bankruptcy, what I saw very, very clearly that was that it's not what teams do, it's how teams work that makes or breaks greatness. And I really do believe still today that what happened at Lehman was a gap in collaboration. It was a gap in relationships and trust building that enabled certain people to do things that were not um, brought up or discussed or conditions that enabled people to speak up. And so, you know, that experience really, you know, really inspired me to say there has to be a different way Um, and led me to study under leaders um, at Harvard and become a researcher myself to really answer the question, you know, in today's world, what allows certain teams and people to get big things done and others not. And that's what led to 
um, my development of a body of research that I now call connectional intelligence and has led to the rest of my career to date. I watched the video um, that you have on your website from 2015, where you talk about connectional intelligence and you start with those four slides. Can you just say with those four slides where there's um, there's a farmer, um, there's a surfer, surfboard. I mean, it's like these four disparate images and you tie them all together and talk about how this idea of connect- connectional intelligence kind of is something we all can participate in and are to some extent participating in. Yeah. Well, a lot of the ways we measure networks today is really about quantity instead of quality. How many Facebook likes do we have? How many Twitter followers do we have? But, you know, what I've really learned is that, you know, connectional intelligence is really about shifting that notion from quantity to quality, because having a lot of networks doesn't necessarily lead to measurable change. The key is the skill of how you cultivate the networks you often already have to drive change that really enables success today. Uh, So I have stories such as a story of a surfer named Ben Thompson who loved surfing um, on the waves, but he hated the sludge in the water. Um, And one of the things he also was, was he was also an engineer. And so he decided to put his engineer and surfing hat on together. And um, he came up with something called SmartFin, which is a surfboard that surfers put under their surfboards that tracks the salinity, acidity, and temperature of water while they're surfing. And this data is now being used by climate change researchers to help track new data in the water because typically sensors corrode in the water over a long period of time. But if surfers are going in and out of the waves, it's the perfect way to actually track this data. And so that's an example of someone who was willing to you know, take an idea add their connection, their, their application of, an, of, uh, of engineering, and really create a new way to help two different networks, the surfing community and the climate change research community, to collaborate. I love that example in particular because it does sound so disparate. Like, it, it doesn't seem like they would connect at all, but um, engineers who like to surf would be thinking that way, and that he was able to tap into the, the larger... Um, scientist, scientific community and bring them in and that they, they saw him as a resource too. But both directions, people have to be open and willing to engage. I, I'm curious how you went from these kernels of an idea to developing into a business practice. There must have been some challenges along that way. Yeah, you know, in many ways, people often say, you know, what led you to start? And And in some ways, it wasn't even a choice for me. It was I, I felt like I had to do this work, and that might sound silly, but you know, um, really, when when I started out um, uncovering the research around connectional intelligence, I really started by looking. This was about ten years ago at the whole conversation in the workplace around millennials and what do millennials want and why are they different. And really, what I found is that in today's age, it's really you know millennials don't want different things as every other generation. Um, And really, we need to stop asking ourselves, what do millennials want? Because the real question we need to answer is, how do we work in a radically different way in today's era that really solves and drives the processes, products, and innovations that solve business challenges? And when I looked at it, what I realized is that what was unique to the rising generation was 
that there was this different way of connecting, um, of building networks, of, of driving influence. And that was really unique, not to an age group, but it was a new capability that all of us could harness. And when I started speaking about connectional intelligence, that's really when I realized that I have to turn this into not just a book, but bring it to the world in, in a broader way. And, you know, in many ways, building an entire business practice out of the, the body research that I built um, was never a master plan. It really came from, from community. It came from people asking, all right, I love this idea. How do I implement it? And I, I still remember I um, spoke at the World Economic Forum at Davos in 2012, and I spoke on a panel with a couple CEOs. And quickly after, someone came up to me and said, all right, how do I build this skill in my company? Um, he was the CEO of an energy company in Europe, and I had nothing. And I remember building my first brochure two weeks later, um, simply because people asked. So in many ways, I think the, the, the idea in the business emerged simply because the community wanted it. Which, which really fits in with your, your message too, right? Like you're practicing what you were teaching. That story um, about the millennials, there's one in particular you shared about the lawyers who weren't billing as many hours. It was because they were working together, right? Support each other and solve problems more quickly. That's right. So a few years ago, um, the CFO of a law firm noticed that the youngest associates were billing less hours. And when they dug into it, they realized that these associates were billing less hours because they were working more efficiently through collaboration. They had created a Twitter-type network to help each other solve cases faster. So in many of the ways, many uh, listeners out there may be using a Facebook group or a Nextdoor group in their neighborhood or um, or a WhatsApp group um, to share information and ask questions. These lawyers were doing it within their own firms, which was quite unheard of um, outside of traditional email or phone calls. Um, and so the law firm actually realized they could learn from this, not antagonize this different way of learning. And they created a whole Twitter at work initiative at their firm that was all about leveraging the power of peer groups across um, different levels of the business. And I imagine it also has some uh, impact on how they think about who gets to, um, you know, excel in that situation, who gets promoted, that the old metrics of billable hours can no longer be the standard. Like you have to think more creatively about who's the leader within that group. Exactly. Um, I think that in many ways, connectional intelligence debunks our traditional performance metrics. Mm. Um, because oftentimes we find that um, super connectors in an organization or in any type of working group, um, they add a lot of different types of value to an organization that is not often on the performance rating chart. Um, and, and so, you know, I truly believe that we need more conditions that enable us to reward the connectors and collaborators around us because um, we all know the benefits that they bring on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So what do you love most about the work you're doing today? What I love most is speaking to groups in a way that we are allowing, uh, we are allowing others in the room to see the possibilities when they come together and connect. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I 
I named my business, my consulting firm, Cotential. And um, it's not a real word. It's a word I made up um, years ago. And really what it is, it's the combination of connection plus potential. And that if we unleash our connections, we can not only reach human potential, but a human cotential. And I think when I see that in a, in a room, when I see light bulbs go off and people connected in a way that creates a new possibility, a new sense of imagination, a, a new sense of empathy or belonging, um, that's what lights me up and um, keeps me inspired. Yeah. And you, you've also given us so, so many new ways to think about the language, to talk about this. You know, we have uh, you know, IQ, and then we had EQ emerge, and we all understand about emotional intelligence. And now you're t- helping us think about connectional intelligence and how we all can tap into that. But people do that in different ways. And I thought that was really interesting how people can think about what is their niche within the connector space. Yeah. So, you know, 10 years ago, Malcolm Gladwell coined this concept of a connector in his book, The Tipping Point. Um, but what you know, my co-author, Saja Nicole Jonai, and I realized in our book, Get Big Things Done, was that in today's world, we're not just connected. We're not all connectors. We're over-connected. So it's not about how do we connect more. It's how do we connect intelligently. And what we found is that in today's world, there are actually three different types of connectors that you need to actually master and create connectional intelligence. The first type of connector is a thinker. The second type is an enabler. And the third type is a connection executor. So the first one, the thinker, is a person that is great around connecting ideas. Um, They may be that person that's always bringing the devil's advocate approach or a new question or a new resource to your team. The second type of connector is an enabler. This is the person that is great at connecting different groups of people together. So this might be your traditional networker, but the person that's really great at building community, they know all the right people that need to come together to help solve a problem. So the thinker may actually spark the question. The enabler may bring all the right people together to help dive into that problem. And then the third type of connector is a connection executor. This is someone who is really good at really making it happen. So if you think of Ben Thompson, the surfer engineer, he's, he, he knew how to how to create connection and execute. Um, so this is the person that likes to get those big things done. And once you have the idea, have the right people, how do you execute it and turn it into action? And so what we found is that having connectional intelligence isn't necessarily about having all these three skills just within yourself. It's about being able to understand what style are you and how do you build a team around you? So if you're a thinker, how do you find the enablers and executors that can help you get your big thing done? Or if you're an enabler, how do you bring the thinkers and executors together to get big things done? Mm, I love this. Like, um, it, It's a different spin on this idea of just being a super connector um, based on, you know, there, there are people who are niche connectors in a region or in an industry. And there are people who are sort of uh, globally connected around those same topics, but you're bringing it more in a, what do you do with those connections? It's not enough to just amass them. Um, how are you sort of helping get things done within that? So, all right, Erica, which one are you? Are you the thinker, the enabler? I, I you know, I've ha- I think I've learned over time, but I'm very much a thinker. Yeah. I would say as the highest, you know, at, at the highest level. Um, but you know, over time we, 
have to adjust to these different roles too. Sometimes earlier in our career, we have to be executors and enablers. Later in our career, if we're in strategy roles, we may have to be more thinkers. Um, oftentimes, if you know, you're know you in a finance role, you may be doing more exec- executor type roles than if you're in an HR role, which may be more about enabling. So it's really valuable to get a sense of what natural style are, are you and then what does your role require at that moment? This makes me also think about people who are more naturally more introverted and get their energy from being at home, but find themselves in a role where they have to be around people a lot. So they find ways to do that and manage their life and still get the downtime they need. But no one suspects that about them because they're, you know, they're outgoing, they're outgoing introverts. They present as extroverts, but team building often misses that and doesn't realize they actually process information differently. And it sounds like knowing thyself is a way for you to get more sort of out of that moment. Exactly. And you know, what we found in our digital era is oftentimes, sometimes introverts are even more vocal, um, but through a digital realm. So I've seen teams where um, virtual team, virtual global teams where introverts are some of the quote unquote loudest on the team. And it's because they write thoughtful email responses, um, you know, because the team is working in a, you know, in a different way than just always face to face. Um, and so I think what's really important is for teams to really think about how they can tap into the connectional intelligence of their whole team and understand how to use different modalities and styles that really allow for that. Mm. So I, I'm wondering, um, in, in the last decade that you've been doing this, you've met just so many people. I mean, you and I were, were introduced through uh, Scott and Ryan, who wrote Super Connector, a great book. And I interviewed um, Scott about a year ago. Uh, so I'll link to that in the show notes. And I hope to have Ryan on the show soon. Um, you've met great people. How do you keep track of those kinds of connections? I don't mean people you see all the time and you work with collaboratively all the time, but I mean those sort of second and even like third tier out people you see at a conference once a year, um, a great connection you met. Like, do you have any practices or habits that help you sort of stay top of mind or them top of mind for you? Yeah, you know, it's a constant practice of continuous improvement, um, I would say. You know, I do use tools that help keep me a bit more disciplined Um, you know, when I meet people, I almost always, um, LinkedIn connect with them. Um, so they're part of my LinkedIn community where I share information and resources on on a weekly basis, um, and respond and like, and connect with other people on their topics. Um, I, I also use a tool called Contactually that actually makes me a bit more diligent when I meet someone from my domain or my industry or a potential client, um, I have buckets and help organize my my um, my contacts using Contactually, which is a great tool. Um, and then, you know, I also just try to stay engaged and focus on um, the networks or associations I'm a part of because that brings me back to people that I've known over the years and that I want to stay engaged with. I, I try not to... Um, create a practice such as, um, you know, I need to send an interesting article to these 10 people every month because I just think that's too formulaic and it's not authentic to me. Um, I just try to be more authentic about it. Um, And, 
you know, there, there is sort of a core group of people I'm diligent about staying in touch with over time, um, using contactually in LinkedIn. And then for the broader group, I, I do, um, I do encourage myself to think more about how do I stay in touch with broader cohorts or networks, like an association or a group and keep going back because then I continually run into those individuals again and again. I like this piece though about going back to those networks and cohorts and associations because um, it's a way to leverage the power of being a regular. What I mean by that is if you're if you've established yourself in a space, um, either you were in a class with someone, you work with someone, or it's an event or an association, and you've gone regularly for several months, you don't have to go every single month to just sort of people know who you are. If you've shown up and they know you, then you can kind of, you know, have a couple of offline moments with a few people and then pop back in and it's not starting from scratch. You're building on those connections you previously had and nurturing them without having to, like you said, send a message to each one of them every Tuesday forever. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So do you, do you uh, find yourself still traveling quite a bit? I know you just had a, a little one. Is travel still a big part of your... Yeah. Uh, on the road, back on the road. And, you know, I think traveling and meeting people and continually helping them use the tools around connectional intelligence is, you know, not only a job for me, but it's very much a calling. It's wonderful when you can have that passion be uh, a way that you're making a living. I'm curious when you're traveling, do you ever organize um, gatherings, dinners, happy hours? Is that part of your toolbox? You know, I, um, when I travel, I always try to um, connect with people. It's usually one-on-one um, when I'm in a city and I want to, you know, meet with someone. I, I usually focus on those one-on-one connections to try to go deeper with individuals, and then I try to really, you know, I try to really just stay present to who I'm, who I'm with in the conference or the event or the client I'm with during that time. Um, and then the other thing I do is I have a lot of just random conversations with people on the plane, in the Uber, um, you know, at the hotel, and I build new connections while I travel as well. Um, so I'm I'm less focused on creating gatherings of people in these cities. I'm more focused on creating deep connections with people I already know. Um, or have met over the years, and then um, and then being open to new connections when I travel. Well, and, and how has diversity sort of been part of this? Is it thoughtful and and planned, or is it that you or I mean, are you just a curious person who attracts people who want to hear what, what you have to say across so many different industries, walks of life, upbringings, backgrounds? Like, is it intentional, or is it happenstance, or a little bit of both? You know, I would say that I I think it's a great question because we often all think we're as, you know, we're we're diverse or inclusive people, but we without really a benchmark, I I never really know how I'm doing. And so one of the ways I try to think about um you know, building diverse connections is to especially when I'm on trips or in meetings um, is to try every single time to sit or have a conversation with someone new. Um, so instead of going to a conference and sitting with the three people I know to make sure 
that I have one meaningful conversation with someone new there, completely random, not the friend of a friend, but I'll go up and talk to anyone. Um, And I think that intentionality has helped me spark those diverse connections and some of the most powerful connections I've ever built. I remember meeting a woman in an elevator a few years ago. She turned out to be the editor-in-chief of Psychology Today. Um, We ended up having lunch a few weeks later, literally out of an elevator ride from the sixth floor to the first floor. We, We connected. And today I'm a writer on Psychology Today simply because of that connection. Um, so I would encourage everyone out there to say, you know, every time I'm going to a gathering or a forum where there are new people, how can I make sure that, um, I reach out and, and try to make one new connection. And over time, some of those will really last, some won't. Um, but what really matters is that it becomes a discipline. I so appreciate that example because that like potential, in the elevator, I think is one of those moments most people miss. <laughs> um, the same thing when you're coming into a, a breakout session. I talk a lot about those those small networking moments at conferences when everyone you know ducks out of the vibrant chaotic hallway and comes into the breakout session early, and then immediately gets on their phone, sitting as far apart as they can from each other. And like that's a brilliant moment to then go and talk to some other people because you already have the shared interest. That's why you chose this session. You also both ducked out of the vibrant chaotic hallway. So you'll probably be like energy wise in a similar level. Um, and it'd be nice to connect. And I, and I think you're right. Like it's not just meet new people who are friends of friends, but meet new people who are just like random. And there's someone I know who sets this up by color. Like I'm going to meet people wearing the color blue, red, purple, yellow, whatever. And that kind of forces them to be a little more creative about who they approach and gets out of their like, there's always that moment of hesitation. And I think you've got like three seconds to stall and you've got to just do it. Because if you, if you stall more than three seconds, you won't approach people. You're like, brain will talk you out of it. But you're showing that there's a lot of possibility that comes from that. It's just starting with hello, right? It's, it doesn't have to be overthought. Absolutely. That's right. We just have to be willing and courageous to take a risk and connect. Yeah. So would you have any advice for people who are just starting out who are like in their mid-20s who who want to sort of follow this idea that you have? You you know, they're they're already tapping in maybe to some connectional intelligence, but how how would they um, really be thinking about building a a diverse and supportive professional network? What, What should they be doing then to reap the rewards of that in their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond? So I would say a few things. The first is um, to start with thinking about the two or three big issues or or um, or opportunities that you care about. So maybe you're a dog lover, or maybe you're really pas- passionate about risk management, or maybe you are um, a, a um, an endocrinologist, right? Um, whatever it may be. Um, focus on how might you be able to cultivate networks with people that have similar passions because networking shouldn't just start with, you know, just going to the random happy hour. It really, it really should start around purpose. And as I said earlier, leadership is about enabling others to achieve a shared purpose. Where do you have a shared purpose with others? And where are those cohorts of individuals that have a shared purpose with you? It could be personal, it could be professional, it could be about um, your neighborhood cleanup, whatever it may be. 
um, start, start reaching out and engaging in those cohorts or groups. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to ask people what's top of mind for them when you are deepening your relationships and what might be skills they could offer to other people in your network. Um, So I talked about the three styles, the thinker, enabler, and executor. Start by understanding what is your connectional intelligence style and how might you be able, if you're a thinker, how might you be able to ask different questions to others uh, related to what they're working on or connect people if you're an enabler or help someone realize how they could get something done if you're more of an executor. And to use that framework to connect people together that may want um, to be able to work on something together or share resources. And then the last thing I would just say is to take risks. Um, So as I, you know, as I, we talked about earlier, um, talk to someone new when you're at that forum, Um, sit to sit with someone new that, you know, you've never sat with before. Um, Be willing to um, put people together Those are simple things that you can do that make a huge difference. Um, And then the last thing I will say is always follow up. If you've had a meaningful conversation, a connection is not a connection unless it's sustained. Um, So whether that's a quick email after, which I highly recommend, or a LinkedIn connection, or a tweet, or um, whatever it may be, if you don't follow up, the connection hasn't been made in my view. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned contactually earlier. One of the ways I've used uh, contactually is I put people into a third tier bucket, which is the people that I meet randomly and hit it off with initially. And it reminds me two weeks and four weeks later to kind of like look them up again. And if a month has gone by, you know, I, I did the initial follow-up email, you know, and I connected them on LinkedIn initially. But if a month later, I still can't think of a reason to like, nurture that further, then I'll move them off my list. And if, if the answer is yes, I'll follow up with them and then they'll get moved into a different bucket, a colleague bucket, a prospect bucket, um, a mentor bucket, something that makes me understand like the role that I want them to play in my life. Because I think we miss opportunities to deepen connection because just because you met them and you did the follow-up, like I, I needed a way to sort of capture that randomness and make it a little more orderly. I have to tell you, I'm very inconsistent about checking my buckets but it makes me feel better to know <laughs> that they're in there and I do get in there and I sort of dabble with it and it just go, oh my gosh, that person's amazing. Erica, I definitely want to reach out to Erica. Or I might be looking for new prospects for who to bring on my show. And I've brought some really interesting people that no one knows on my show because I met them under a random coffee shop moment and no one else is talking about them, but they're brilliant. Um, so yes, use a combination of intuition and tools, right? Like, Yeah. That's right. I love it. (laughs) So um, my favorite question is, if we're meeting, uh, this is our last question and my favorite question, if we're meeting a year from now, and uh, and I I come to New York regularly, I have family there. So I I host dinners uh, in Dumbo, actually, when I'm in town. So I'll reach out. But um, if we're connecting a year from now, and we're uh, sort of celebrating all of your wins for the previous year, I want to know what achievements we're going to be talking about. What are you looking forward to for this coming year? What a great question, especially in the new year. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I just have a few. I think it's um, to feel that I was a a loving um, wife and mother to to my family. I think that comes first. 
Um, so we can spend all of our time networking, but we have to, we have to build connections with the people that matter most and we can never forget that. Um, and then the other two things, um, are I'm working on a new book and body of research, which is about empathy in a digital world and how do we connect in a world where we're often not being able to read body language anymore and build trust. Um, and so I'm excited about finishing the book. I would say those are the two big things. <laughs> uh, finishing it, publishing it, launching it, and having everyone just talk about how wonderful it is, how helpful it is. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I have to say, kudos to you for doing original research. It's so rare. It's so rare. It's so needed. And I think it's why probably people are drawn to you. You're willing to do that. And that is a lot of extra. I mean, I'm writing a second book, but I'm not doing this like body of research that you're talking about. And that level is wonderful that you're doing that. So kudos to that. I can't wait to celebrate the success of your new book and, uh, and share it. And also um, kudos to being a new mom. I'm, I, you know, as you know, I'm a dad with a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So it's a great journey. Buckle in. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robbie. So Erica, where can people find you and follow your work? So they can find me on my website, ericadewan.com, and also on Twitter, at edewan and at LinkedIn. Uh, the other thing is I have a special gift for listeners out there, which is a free access to the Connectional Intelligence Assessment, which will actually help you measure what type of connector you are. Are you a thinker, enabler, executor, and give you some tools to grow your connectional intelligence. Um, if you're in the United States, you can easily get the gift through your mobile phone. If you text the number 66866 and, and type my name in the text message, Erica, E-R-I-C-A, you'll get an immediate link to get access to the assessment. You can also go and sign up on my website, ericadewan.com, and get access to the website as well. And I hope to the assessment as well. And so I hope you'll take it. And it will allow you to keep the conversation going and to use these tools. Fantastic. I'll definitely have those links in the show notes and the details for how to, uh, to text as well. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. I think it's going to be so you. helpful. It was really great talking to you, Erica. Great to be on the show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Erica. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 131. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Erica, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.